Welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads, a podcast all about beer from a West Virginia perspective. I'm Erin McCoy, here with my podcast partner, Charles Bakwe. So we've brought together this evening sort of a community of uh, beer fans from West Virginia that are in the kind of the brilliant stream and the West Virginia Beer Roads community. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what we liked, what we saw in uh, 2020. 2020 and uh, then move on and look ahead to 2021 and talk a little bit about that too, what we'd like to see. And so let me introduce my panelists here. We've got our roundtable members. Let me start out with uh, my co-host on West Virginia Beer Roads, Aaron McCoy. And Aaron, uh, everyone, in, uh, I introduce you. If you've got a West Virginia beer, tell me what you're drinking. Hello, Charles, and hello to everybody who's joining us and everybody with us today on our roundtable. I have got the Bear of Fruit series from Weathered Ground. This one is the Cherry Lemon Limeade. Check out that color. Yep, that's a beauty. And uh, from Charleston, West Virginia, we have a couple of people today. And first, let me introduce David Mincer. Hey, Charles, how's it going? I am uh, similarly drinking Bear of Fruit, uh, the Cherry Lemon Limeade, and it's <laughs> awesome. It is, right, this whole series is great, but I love this one. Already two votes for bearer of fruit. And from uh, also from Charleston, Brad Deal. Hey, Charles, how are you? Drink local. There we go, West Virginia. <laughs> uh, I am drinking a uh, Free Folk Oatmeal Stout. And when I finish that up, I also have some uh, Big Timber Gingerbread Stout waiting on me. But I thought I'd save that for the end so that I can remain vertical throughout the uh, conversation. Okay, that's that's a good plan. Uh, from Beckley, West Virginia, have Matt Day. Hey, everyone. Uh, hey, Charles. Hey, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm drinking a Struggle Street and keeping the weather ground going from Cool Ridge, West Virginia. Glad to be here. Look forward to the conversation. Okay, and also, as I said, we have several people from Charleston. Lynette Stewart from Charleston. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm currently drinking uh, Weathered Ground, but I actually have the Haggard, so not cool enough to have the newest bear fruit, apparently. Uh, that's okay. Uh, and I think uh, now from South Charleston, uh, Rob Abston, who's also a member of our team here on West Virginia Beer Roads Roundtable. Hey, everyone. Um, <clears throat> I'm drinking a Diet Pepsi right now. So... I'm the, I'm the turd in the punch bowl. Sorry. Oh, you're not in the punch bowl, but I'll, I'll throw in, oh, there it is, in my Summit Beer Station glass, of course. What better glass to have at a West Virginia beer discussion? Um, and this is a Huntington beer, the Silt Sucker from the Peddler down in Huntington. So, What style is that, Charles? What style is that? Um. He calls it a New England, I think. It's both. It's hazy. It's I don't know. Well, it's showing up here, but um, it's a hazy. Yeah. Hey, so let's get this thing uh, get started here and move along. Um, I want to. You know, we've had a crazy year for any business, not just brewery businesses, but uh, but if we think about our beer business in West Virginia and especially our brewery business, let's talk a little bit about what we saw in 2020, what did we like in 2020 out of our West Virginia breweries? Um, and I'm gonna kick it off over here with Dave Menser. 
All right. Uh, so what I liked was something that really surprised me, right? Because my thought was just like all of us trying to struggle to get through 2020, that breweries would just, you know, not necessarily shut it down, but just stick to their flagships and not really do anything wild. And I saw the exact opposite. I saw so many different uh, varieties, so many different independent beers coming out of Weathered Ground and uh, Stumptown and uh, Higher Ground and Free Folk. Everybody took chances and uh, and went crazy. And I just, I didn't expect it. And I absolutely love it. And uh, they've done an incredible job. People were pretty fleet of foot. So, right, they all went out basically and got canners so that they could distribute because bar traffic is down so much. They've got to get rid of beer and push it somehow. And uh, they went nuts and did it. So I love that. Yeah, that's true. That uh, you know, draft died, uh, especially back in March when they closed all the bars and restaurants. And and it recovered a little, but you know, it's still way down from the past. Um, let me go over here now and take this discussion to Matt Day. Matt, what can yeah, you add to this? Yeah, and I would definitely agree with Dave. You know, 2020 has brought a lot of problems, but it also has brought a lot of solutions. You know, a lot of the, the heavy distributed beers from like Greenbrier Valley and Big Timber, you know, we, we figured that they would make it. And we figured, you know, like Dave said, they would stick to their flagships. Alongside them with every other brewery, they just started churning out cans, styles, varieties like nobody had ever seen. Because you look at 2020, you thought that, you know, like Dave said, they would fold up. But you look at Big Timber, the top three beers on Untapped for Big Timber all came in 2020. You look at probably one of the most popular series in West Virginia with the bearer fruit came in 2020. All of these different beer styles the different names, the different varieties, the different styles, all conjugated in 2020 because brewers had to get more creative. They couldn't just rely on their regular patrons coming into the bars, coming into breweries and getting the draft beers. They had to rely on their canning. So they had to get out there and they had to get creative and not only what they were brewing, but what they were distributing within the beer community. Yeah, that's a good point. And the idea of the canning uh, really took off. I think we now had 16 or something like that of our 28 breweries that are doing some kind of canning that's it's a it's amazing and most of those were added in 2020 lynette uh lynette stewart let me uh hear from you on what you thought about uh, 2020 our beer market in west virginia i completely agree with uh dave and matt both i think if we if nobody got the canning like line anywhere i truly think west virginia beer would have no size I think that's the biggest thing for me out of 2020 that West Virginia's done. Mm -hmm. Anyone have a different, uh, something, Aaron, something different to add? More so, not just the canning, but as they've kind of touched on a little bit, I was really impressed with all the different styles that came out and not just, you know, to be new for the brewery itself, but regularly new styles like Morgantown, for instance, had so many different listen to and sour series. And then Stumptown had the smoothies that they came out with, and it was really cool to see them have a regular new release to kind of keep them out there and keep their beers in circulation. And Brad, uh, Brad Deal, you get around uh, trying a lot of beers, I know, from different breweries. Give me, give me your take on 2020. Yeah, you know, Charles, I, I think my, my take on 2020 is, is sort of an evolutionary development of what I've seen from West Virginia breweries, in addition to all, all the things we're seeing in cans. I've seen a lot of breweries that have been, especially some that have been around for a while, really sort of kick it up a notch. 
and some that were new and kind of came on and initially, uh, I'm thinking of free folks. I'm drinking a free folk beer right now. Um, when they came on initially, a lot their beers were kind of, uh, okay, not bad, but you know, and boy, they really improved a lot. And then I think of Parkersburg who same kind of thing, been around a long time. Um, and I used to think of their beers, eh, okay, not bad, but they've really picked it up too. And so I, I think everyone in the, in the state has really stepped up their game. Uh, and that's what I've seen. Yeah. I so think, so to just, to just go back to Matt's point, right. About breweries and their, uh, beers from 2020 being their highest rated beers. I'm looking at Stumptowns right now on untapped and their top nine rated beers all came out this year. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? it, it it's crazy. It, it's like, uh, when they got experimental, the right the market responded the craft beer drinkers of west virginia said gosh we like this stuff they're doing we like these different beers is what it looks like to me uh rob abston uh throw in some ideas on this well one of the things that really popped out with me this year is that uh after they became legal with the samples and everything i'm seeing a lot more people who are willing to branch out um people who would be going to a growler station to pick up a you know half gallon of something that they've had 10 times now can actually try the, the 10 things on tap and they're getting something other than what they came in for i've seen that happen i don't know 50 times maybe so a lot of these things that are being made out there are are now being sampled by people and appreciated and bought by people. To so to, to further that point right it's what you said charles is it's not just that the craft beer lovers are loving what we're getting right now it's, I think, a whole bunch of people who aren't really craft beer lovers that are taking the things that breweries are making, like the smoothie series from Stumptown, like the bearer of fruit that, you know, doesn't, it, it was, I don't know that that was intended for craft beer lovers, as opposed to just beer lovers or, or drink lovers, cocktail lovers, right? Um, I have to agree with that. With all the sour beers that are out there, it certainly opens the door up for people that aren't exactly craft beer drinkers. I think they're more willing to try things. And I think that's good because then, you know, you do get people who are like, oh, I didn't think I might like this. And so maybe they're more likely to try other styles from a particular brewer. You know, and, and I really think too, uh, the creative, the creativity came more out of competition and necessity because you have the, you know, the distribution Kings in West Virginia with Big Timber and Green Bar Valley, Devlance is everywhere. Uh, Big Timber IPA, Big Timber Porter. And so once these smaller breweries started coming out with cans, you know, the average beer drinker goes, they go to, they go to their beer store, they go to, a, you know, they go to the fruit and they see, hey, do I want to try Big Timber IPA for the 20th time? Or am I going to, am I going to try this bear of fruit from this brewery that I haven't seen before? And so you have these breweries coming out with these different beers, which forced, you know, mm -hmm. other breweries like Big Timber to get creative and come out with more canned beers. Yeah, you know, like I've uh, sophisticated hound put some beer in cans. Uh, the Bavarian Inn, uh, Bavarian Brothers Brewery up in the Eastern Panhandle put these are little tiny ones put beer in cans. Uh, you know what we saw was, you know, newer small breweries adapting to that market and starting to do some canning. And uh, I'm not saying that put them at the top of the market or anything, but it, it apparently was just like a symptom of the fact that that's what you needed to do this year to to sell beer was in part at least to have some canned beer because on-premise sales were so so uh, reduced 
you know, let me let me draw an analogy here, Charles. And I, I spent 30 years in the military and I teach military history. And, and one of the things that we know that causes militaries to innovate is the threat of extinction. Uh, nothing causes a military to innovate more than either getting their butts handed to them or the threat of getting their butts handed to them. Um, and, and I think that's what breweries faced with this pandemic. You know, you lost your bar sales, um, you lost your traffic that way. So what are you gonna do? You're either gonna get creative and innovate or you're gonna go out of business. You're facing extinction. And, and that, that, that threat, I think really, uh, I, I, I don't wanna say it's been beneficial <laughs> to the breweries, but certainly uh, in, in a way it's been beneficial to consumers because we've gotten a lot of great product out there because of it. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, throw in another one that added a, a nice canning line this fall was uh, I mean, uh, the Screech Owl up in the northern part of the state. Now Screech Owl cans are all over the Morgantown area. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just great to see that development. And I don't think that would have happened nearly as quickly. And I don't, from what I'm hearing from you guys too, wouldn't have happened nearly as quickly if that the mother of necessity, uh, you know, I mean, invention, the mother, whatever you did. What is that? Somebody help me. Necessity is the mother of invention. That's it. You know, it's that, that they, needed, they needed to do that to, you know, because the market told them got to do it to survive. Right. Economics. That and, you know, like I had mentioned in the, the honor roll article, one of my comments was Chestnut Brew Works, you know, set up an online store and actually began to distribute within a certain mile radius in the Morgantown area to be able to get their beer out to people in addition to putting in a, a newer canning line. So, I mean, just all around innovation with styles and the way they're able to get beer to people has changed. And I think it's all positive on the consumer side, hopefully positive yeah. on the brewery side. Well, it, you know, we were talking earlier about why the breweries came out with different styles that maybe they were styles that weren't just to appeal to the hardcore craft drinker, that they were styles for just general beer drinkers that could bring them into smaller brewery craft beer, uh, uh, like the, the fruited sours and things. That, and there's probably a lot of truth to that, but I was just thinking of what... Um, Cody told us up at uh, Morgantown Brewing when we interviewed him not too long back in the fall. And um, he was saying their beers, their normal beers, you know, like normal style beers that, that, you know, sold pretty well for them. He says, that's not what people wanted. They, they were kind of dead. The only thing that sold for him, I mean, what really sold for them was all the crazy and exotic stuff. So the more exotic they got, the better their sales were. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it was interesting to see or to hear, you know, a small brewer say that. I mean, not just um, making hazy IPAs. They weren't exotic enough. I mean, they had to be like milkshake uh, IPAs and like crazy fruited sours and stuff. You know, I don't know. Did anybody else kind of think that exotic and crazy is uh, where the West Virginia beer market has a future? I mean, I sure hope so, because I mean, with being in quarantine for so long, I don't want to drink the same beer every single day. Like, I'd rather be able to go out to Fruit Dragon Point somewhere and get something that is crazy that I'm not going to necessarily get. Like the other day I bought um, some like pumpkin spice, uh, something was from High Ground. And I just, I, to me, I thought it was great. I haven't seen pumpkin spice that way. It was like kind of like a latte. 
from what, yeah. like a West Virginia brewery. Yeah, and there's another brewery that really came on strong this year. So strong, man. All the ratings, all the reviews, even from our beer community, from our honor roll and all that high ground. I mean, those guys, but they made an uh, incredible wide variety of beers. And they not, of course, they made them well. And I think, I mean, at, at the at the end of the day, don't you still have to be a daggone good brewer, though, to, to grow in the market? I mean, you know, somebody uh, throw in something on that, you know. Yeah, Charles, I, I made a comment online in, the, in a Facebook group about Big Timber. Um, and, and I liken them to, I call them the Great Lakes of West Virginia, and I meant that as a compliment. Um, and what I meant by that was, if you just hand me a Big Timber beer or a Great Lakes beer, don't even tell me what it is, just say it's Great Lakes or it's Big Timber, I'm going to get a good beer. I'm going to get a solid beer. I'm going to enjoy it. And to produce really good, solid product that's widely available. And, and too many, I think, in the craft beer community, you know, well, if you can easily find it on the shelf, it must be craft beer, right? Uh, shelf turds. Um, but just because you can find it at a gas station doesn't mean it's not good beer. Uh, and so I think that, that the ability to produce high quality, consistent quality beer uh, that's widely distributed is a is a certainly a compliment for Big Timber and 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 for Greenbrier Valley as well. Yeah, you know, uh, Big Timber is one. I mean, they saw their draft sales, you know, evaporate, and they had to do something. I mean, they had all this capacity, and so they started ordering can after you know can load after can load, so they could and started making small batches, more small batches of beer than they would have otherwise done this year, and 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 hit on a couple those two cake beers those two like german chocolate cake and cake, cake smash. smash i mean those two beers were among the highest rated beers of the year by any brewery in the state i mean they hit on some incredible stuff uh their their ipas uh, their small the batch IPAs did fine i mean other things they did yeah so it was great to see it's not only that they made different beers and smaller batches and all but they made really good beers at, at Big Timber. Yeah, they did. That the you know, they you know, like I said, you know, the, the top three beers of of twenty, you know, oh, top, Big Timber's top three beers are on tap. You have uh, Cake Smash, Yokiero Chocolate Cake, and Overgrowth. All came from uh, twenty twenty. You know, but like I said, you know, it's not so much that you know, if I see a beer in a gas station, I think it's crap beer. But you know, I know we hit on it before the show too. But you know. They're big timber. They are the they are the distribution kings of West Virginia. And so with dis distribution, you know, not every place that gets in, not every place that craft beer gets into is they're not going to monitor the dates of the beer. They're not going to monitor any of that stuff. And so sure, when I go to a gas station, I'm not saying, hey, you know what? I don't want to drink a big timber IPA. It's crap, you know, because then I have to go and have to investigate. Hey, I need to pick up the can, look at the can, kind of determine, hey, is this IPA fresh? Because you never know. But when you have like overgrowth, you know, I can look on Big Timber's Facebook and see they release this on this date. So I know that it is a fresh quality beer as opposed to, you know, their, you know, consistent rotation of Big Timber IPA and Big Timber Port. Yeah. Those are good. You know, to, to Matt's point, if there's one thing that I wish brewers would do in this state more and really everywhere is yeah, we can see, we can do research and figure out when a beer got released, but man, put dates on your cans, put production dates on there 
And, uh, you know, very few West Virginia brewers do it. And so that's, you know, if I'm guessing as to where I want this thing to go, that's one of the ways I want it to change. Yeah, and that brings us to the next kind of topic we want to get into is what do we got to do to stay on top? I mean, how do we get better as West Virginia brewers? And I think that's a good point right there, whether you're bottling or canning, definitely get dates on your packages. And uh, not everybody does that, like you said. What are some other so, things? So with, with that said, right, I, I don't see old beer on shelves. That's West Virginia produced craft beer either. Right. You see it mostly with nationally made beers. And I'm not kidding. Like I saw a stone enjoyed by one one twenty twenty that I that I bought in a bar like a week ago. And uh, to to their credit, the distributor immediately when I put it on social media came down to that bar and pulled them and explained this is a mistake. We had it in the in the warehouse and we had one one twenty one right beside it. And this is somebody not paying attention. So it went out yeah, and they made it right. And they pulled old product, put new product in immediately and then covered the beer. But, uh, you know, it's mostly national brands because the West Virginia stuff's jumping off shelves anyway. Yeah. I Just to kind of close the discussion on that one, one 2020, uh, it kind of shocked me that, the distributors still had that in their warehouse that yeah. says something uh, unfortunately not great that they kept that beer that long. Right. anyway you know so what are some other things though that uh, uh our brewers you know what can we do better where do we need to grow where do we need to get stronger yeah one of the one of the things i've you know i've not really seen this much from west virginia brewers and i wish there would um is buzz around release dates uh, people stand in line at Jackie O's. You know, they go to Jackie O's and they stand in line for long times for to get a beer. Um, and I don't really see breweries in West Virginia doing things like, you know, we're going to brew this beer once a year. You got to get it this day. We're going to release it. And, and building buzz around release dates. And that, and that buzz around release dates, it's not just about that beer because it builds uh, a reputation for that brewery as well. So that's one of the things I'd like to see is breweries trying to figure out, okay, how do we have one or two uh, beers a year that we have these special releases for uh, and build buzz around that and get people standing in line out, you know, waiting for the beer. Yeah, that's, that's good. You know, you're right. We haven't really seen any, uh, anybody give a big effort anyway, towards those release date things. I know weather grounds done a, tempted to do an event or two some of them maybe weren't with beers that would draw as much you know a big line but yeah the typical brewery doesn't do that and uh i'm not sure why does anybody have a feeling why we don't see more of that uh mincer or yeah i think if you threw a today is today is the struggle right and you you're like we're bit we're weather ground and we're going to release ba struggle street today and we're throwing a special event out at the brewery. And uh, I, I could imagine that you'd have a bunch of people go out there for that. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I'm, I'm looking at you, Sam Fonda. The day of struggle, <laughs> the day of struggle has to happen. You have the day of struggle. And, and that's what it's all about. You know, Struggle Street is. It, it, it has become one of the staple beers or it's one of the staple winter beers in West Virginia. Struggle Street is an awesome beer. 
And so you have to build on them. You know, you have the day of struggle, you have struggle street, you have bourbon bell struggle street, you have these different <clears throat> bridles of, of the beers. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to do a release or something like that, you have to go all in because look, most of us are, we're all beer snobs. We're not going to travel for one beer. We want the whole enchilada. Yeah. yeah. Throw last year's on, throw regular, throw BA. Hey, Rob Abston, give us some thoughts on this topic. I think one of the first things you have to have is you have to have a beer worth having an event for. And there are a couple out there now. Um, the aforementioned the Struggle Street, uh, these uh, pastry stouts that um, have been coming out of Elkins. Um, but, you know, we've, we've had some breweries in the area who have had tried to have an event and they get like six or seven people show up. And that's because the beer probably wasn't worth standing in line for. Um, you know, we, we've had that. Uh, that. Some breweries have tried to do it, and you know, it takes a, you do it a couple times, and you get a couple of really poor responses, and you're kind of gun shy after that. Um, but you know, if you're making something that people really want, um, you've got a much better shot at being able to pull off one of these high capacity monster buses. You know, people aren't standing in line at um, just pull one up, uh, like say a Columbus area brewery, like uh, I, I don't know, pick, pick pick any pick any like North High. They don't have any events because they've got a bunch of beer that's okay. Nobody's gonna stand in line to pick up a North High beer. But you go 30 miles up the road to Harpard, and you still have people that are like standing in line because um, it's worth it's worth standing in line for, and it's worth driving halfway across the state for. Uh, you get that, and people will start. People start doing it. Yeah. Hey, Lynette, you go to a lot of beer releases uh, around the region. Uh, what's your thoughts on this? One of my biggest things is um, with Weather Ground. I love the Haggard series, and I wish more breweries would do something like that. Like they have a session, regular IPA, double IPA. I want to see other breweries in West Virginia try to do something like that. I go to Pittsburgh a lot. There's a couple of breweries up there that does similar. Um, with IPA, somebody else has a lager with it. That's something I would hope that other breweries pick up on to try to do a series like that. Yeah, so those series, especially when they're high-rated series, could could definitely draw that crowd at least occasionally to uh, to a release, don't you think? I I guess. Hmm? Yeah. So we were we were talking a while ago about maybe short story, and we were talking really about chasing uh, daylight, right? Mm -hmm. And you could do like a chasing dawn that is the session, a chasing daylight is their standard IPA, and then a double IPA version that's, you know, like chasing dusk or something like that. And just more of that theme of here it is and half power, one power, two power, and, uh, and get a theme going. And, you know, Matt talked about uh, Struggle Street Day, Matt and I did, but you know, you could do a cake day up at Big Timber and you could have cake smash. You could have that Yokiero. You could have two or three different varieties. And Matt, I'm curious about this, but uh, I just looked at Untapped and Weathered Ground made a struggle streak with Habanero. You know, you could throw that on. You can throw different treatments of that base beer. But have you tried that uh, just out of curiosity, Matt, that struggle streak with Habanero? Uh, yeah, so, so that struggle streak... Well, with habanero it was one of the original series release and it, and it was very good it was just the right amount of heat and it complemented the malts of that beer perfectly 
but kind of just to get away from, you know, hey, the different the different days or, you know, as a state, what can we do better? What can we do to produce the best beer in the state of West Virginia? And it's often been a pipe group of mine. I sit and I think about Jeff McKay and the Summit and how we, we all know that the Summit is the pinnacle beer bar in the state of West Virginia. And we talk about, we look at, you know, the Great American Beer Festival. We can do something similar here because I, I personally am a big believer that competition brings out the best in everybody. And so you have sort of like a golden ticket event at the summit of, hey, you know what? We have a panel. We have decided that these are the best five breweries in West Virginia, and you are all invited to the summit. You each pick two beers. You bring two beers. We put them on tap. You, it's a ticketed event, and we rate the beers, and we pick the best beer of West Virginia. And, you know, and from that point, we really get to see who is who and what is what. And so next year, you know, myself personally, you know, if I came in second to somebody, I, I would eat and say, what can I do to be better? But I do believe that, that competition does bring out the best, even in beer. Excellent idea, man. Yeah, Charles, you know, you know about the Brewer's Ball down in Tampa in Florida, right? Oh yeah, and we could do something like that where everybody the same exact idea that Matt has. I think that's a great idea, and Matt. I think that's that's a tremendous idea. I mean, <clears throat> people can look and can see behind me; those are runners' medals, and I'm a runner. And I I do things in races that when I think about it afterwards, I'm like, how in the world did I do that? I can't imagine how I ran that fast. Um, I can't come close to running that fast in training. But you get out in a race, and you're trying. There's somebody you know, five yards in front of you that you're trying to beat, there's somebody five yards behind you that's trying to beat you and that you're being pushed and pulled and, and that really pushes you to do things that you wouldn't otherwise do. So I agree with you completely that competition makes it better. Let me uh, go through again who's on uh, this program tonight. We have David Menser from Charleston. We have Matt Day from Beckley, Brad Deal from Charleston, Rob Abston from South Charleston, Aaron McCoy from South Charleston, Lynette Stewart from Charleston, and I'm Charles Bachway from Mink Shoals, West Virginia. So somebody mentioned a minute ago the short story, and I think that's another brewery that's really coming up so strong in, uh, in West Virginia beer. And they're a brewery that, Aaron, we, we talked to them about what they're doing. What stood out for, you know, from when we talked with the short story folks about their brewery? Uh, for me in particular, um, you know, of course, we interviewed Aaron Brute, co-owner, and his brother-in-law is the brewer. And he said that he knows that once he has a recipe in his head, that it's going to be exactly how they expect it to turn out that it's going to be consistent every single time. It's always worked through ahead of time. And I think that they have all of their recipes, which they're on some of my favorite beer um, for the year on that list. You know, uh, Charles, or I'm sorry, uh, David had mentioned the Infinity Plus One and Chasing Daylight. Those are excellent IPAs and they're, they're consistent with them. And so once they get that recipe down, we know that we're always gonna expect that beer. And I think that is so important for all of our breweries to do, um, you know, not just for flagships, but anything that they have that they come out and then want to re-release, which you guys are all discussing releasing things. It's gotta be consistent. It's gotta be what the consumers expect whenever they go to buy that beer again. So that was a big thing for me. Um, the second thing for them was that they basically are selling everything they make, they're at capacity. And, you know, it'd be great to have a short story participate in like a golden ticket, you know, 
but that might not be something that they're they could do at this point you know it may be hard for them to do that and and continue what they're producing and selling at this point um so it would be interesting to see how how they would work around that obviously that would be up to them yeah i think uh that might be a way to get some of these beers from a short story and others that don't distribute in southern west virginia you know, to Southern West Virginia, so we could actually have a uh, some some access to something that they're doing, and and, and all of us enjoy it. Uh, but yeah, I, it's you when you've got a brewery like Short Story that's selling everything through their tap rooms. I mean, they're hardly distributing anything, even in their local market. They're selling everything. They have two tap rooms now: one in Deep Creek Lake, Maryland, and one in uh, the Reevesville, which is the Fairmont area. Um, they're just selling. I mean, they they their canned beers all sell right at, at the release, you know, that week. Right. And that's, that's a great business model. I mean, Weather Ground does similarly, except that they apportion a certain amount to get out into, you know, distribution around at least Southern and then to some extent, other parts of West Virginia, you know, it's, it's a tough decision. So let's talk a little bit about that distribution thing. It's a tough thing for the bre small brewers because they can make the most money by selling the beer right in their own place. I mean, by far, you know, they sell it, they get all the profit. If they put it into distribution, they have to take a haircut on profitability. So, I mean, there's advantages, but you know, and we love it because heck we get it then and maybe we wouldn't see it otherwise. So let's talk a little bit. Anybody, uh, Brad, do you have a thought on distribution from small breweries and you know, how it works best? Yeah, I, you know, I really, um, West Virginia, I think, needs to loosen up the, the, their distribution laws in terms of when you have to work through distributor. Because here's the reality. Big Timber is not going to distribute their own beer. Greenbrier Valley is not going to distribute their own beer. They've got too much stuff going out there. There's too much logistically involved. It actually is beneficial to them. It would cost them more to try to put their beer in every gas station in the state than to pay a distributor to do it. So for them, it makes sense. Um, but for a lot of these smaller breweries, it would make sense to allow them to do more self-distribution so they can get their beer around. And then quite frankly, I think the distributors would ultimately benefit as well because if they build, as that brewery gains in popularity and people buy more of their beer, they're gonna reach a point that they say, hey, we can't do this ourselves anymore. We need to work with a distributor to put our beer out in the market. So I, I think there's a false narrative that, that self-distribution works against the distributors. I think that ultimately from a longer term perspective that, that everyone benefits from that. The distributors benefit from it and the brewers benefit from it. And, and I wish we would uh, loosen that up to make that easier for, for small breweries to do that. Yeah, you know, we were talking to Matt Kwasniewski recently uh, from Big Timber and that's one of the points he made. It's like, it's very tough for their distributors to handle something like cake smash and some of these little small batch specialty beers. And if, if the state allowed certain beers to be, you know, these small batch ones to be self-distributed by a brewery, even though they have a distribution contract with for the, all their main stuff, that that would help, you know, them get it out and get it around and, and us to enjoy it. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know what the answer is there, but right. The current laws, if you're doing uh, beer distributor kind of distribution, that makes it very difficult. But what about all the other, we have so many small breweries like, like Weatherground and many of the others that, uh, you know, Bad Shepherd, 
whatever that aren't doing distribution through a beer distributor. I mean, they are right. self-distributing and they have total flexibility, but how do, how do you feel about them? The, you know, the, the two sides, them selling everything they've got through their own little place, through their own tap rooms or putting more of it out into distribution so we can get it in other parts of the state. I mean, what's the thought on, you know, I, uh, Lynette, what do you think about that? I mean, I know, Charles, I know you and I have talked about this a lot because I will love to see Morgantown in Charleston. And I know they still have a bunch of issues um, with all their stuff with distribution. I just wish the laws were easier to get things around the state. I mean, because their stuff abolitionists, you don't see their stuff in the area. I would love to have them here. I'm trying to think. If they could, I'm really sucky on distribution stuff, but um, I cannot think where my mind's going. No, that's good, though. I mean, I think what you're saying is you'd like to see more beers from more of these good breweries in distribution so we could get them. But at the same time, some of these guys don't have capacity. Like, we're talking to the short story people. Right. They're, right. They can't brew more beer. They're selling all they can make right now and they're not going to be distributing in charleston until they would expand their brew systems you know and they would have to make a big investment in which i would wish they would but is that right for us we're just beer drinkers i mean we love to see more but is that right for us to tell these businesses what they need to do you know to make us happy or uh i, I don't know well, i mean as a consumer, yeah, wouldn't you, wouldn't you want somebody's opinion and be like, okay, you need to do more of this? I mean, make the people happy. Yeah, it, it is. It, it is definitely. It's so you know, I you know, I got a couple different points here, especially talking to the, the short story uh, point because I do have two tap rooms now, and you know, I recently talked to Sam Fonda, and you know, we talked, you know, especially you know, given his roots in North Carolina, the Charlotte area, a gigantic beer market of, hey man, you know, what are your thoughts? about you know distribution into North Carolina, getting the license and everything. He said, no, because there are still tons of restaurants and businesses that I'm not in in West Virginia. So it, it's, it speaks volumes, I think, for Weatherground to you know, forego, because look, we all, we all know they could easily go to North Carolina. We could put their beer there and make tons of money, but it's the local first mentality. And that's something, you know, I, I don't know the financial short story. I don't know, but I do feel like if you are a brewery in West Virginia and you would like to make it and you want to make your consumers happy, you should probably try to get to the top to bottom state first before you open a tap room in Maryland. You know, I don't know the reasons why, and I'm, you know, I'm not saying anything bad. Yeah, you know, Hey, I, I wish them the best, but you know, in the southern part of the state, Charleston down, you know, we can't we can't even get the cans. We can't get anything uh, from short story. I, I wish I could. And so, you know, it, it's hard. It's a very hard choice to make for a, a brewery. But given the West Virginia beer community, how small it is, I, I really do feel that you should put locality first. Yeah. So with that, with that thought, right? My thought is this. You say, Charles, is it fair for us to suggest or request or demand that a short story increase capacity so that they can fulfill the market down here that wants them here. That's where the money is, right? If you in a COVID situation are doing so well that you don't have any beer left over, for God's sake, increase capacity. 
make more beer. And then when this all opens up and people go back to bars, you know, you're going to make a ton more money. And I think what they're doing, right, if I, not to speak about it being in Maryland versus West Virginia for their second location even, but I think that is the current model in the business nationally, not just in West Virginia, which, which we're seeing a little bit of, but uh, multiple taproom locations. Look at the Vale in Richmond and Norfolk now, right? There are four locations for the Vale in that area. Look at other half that moved to upstate New York, right? And open a second location there. I think that's the current move as they look at it. And your point, Charles, earlier really was if you're going to sell kegs to bars, then you're selling kegs at a at a price point that is nothing compared to if you've got a tap room and you're going to sell a pint for five dollars, right? You're going to get a a dollar eighty out of that pint in kegs delivered to restaurants. And if you're self-distributing and you're getting a dollar eighty doing it, you're losing a lot of money. And so I think that is the current trend in the marketplace that we're going to see multiple taproom locations for each brewery that is successful enough that they can sell as much as they make. Yes. And I think there are like, I know Stumptown has entertained that idea. They haven't been able to make a deal on it, but they've looked at doing a, their, a second tap room in different parts of the state. And I, I think we may see more of that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, are we keeping up? I mean, you know, we're one of the things that hits me, like when we say, well, you know, we'd love to see short story or Morgantown down in Charleston. Maybe it's just because in Charleston, we only got one brewery and we need four or five. I mean, if we had right. all the breweries that other places have proportionately to our population, maybe we would have so many, so much beer, you know, we wouldn't have to be begging people from Morgantown to come to Charleston. I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, uh, we haven't had the growth that some of the other states have had. North Carolina, 340 breweries now or plus. Uh, Virginia, over 300. Ohio, over 340. Pennsylvania, over 400. Maryland, 120. I mean, we're surrounded by all these markets that are just exploded. It, it, you know, what, what can we do to, I don't know, what do we need to do here? So look at the, uh, what's the last brewery that you remember in West Virginia going out of business, not being bought like um, Charleston Brewing Company is now Bad Shepherd, right? And it's just transferred name and basically operating under the same roof. Blackwater, right? Yeah, Blackwater. Is, is no longer in existence. But other than that, what's the last brewery that went away in West Virginia? Uh, was it Lost River? Well, yeah, lost. I mean, we've lost a, a handful, not many, but in this year we did lose, I mean, at least we think we've lost uh, uh, the Brewstool in Elkins, which was a very tiny, very right. tiny um, nano brewery there. Uh, they did not renew their license back in July. So uh, they, they, on their website, they do say, or at least, I mean, on their Facebook page, they say permanently closed. Uh, you know, I, I haven't been able to get any communication from the owner. I don't know for sure what the situation is but anyway yeah but that was a wasn't a significant brew we haven't lost uh, a decent sized you know or a you know one that really distributed or anything like that recently no i no, think I mean, that what that what that means though right and i don't mean to suggest that it's an easy business or that money's rolling in and it's unlimited and in you know all of them are getting super rich but it means to me that there's an appetite and we need more breweries that, and we can, 
we can fulfill orders for more breweries. We can drink their beer. There's enough capacity out there that we can grow it. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've, I've written on this before, but West Virginia has uh, the, the was always the lowest and probably still is the lowest in the nation on the per capita production of local beer. You know, even though as beer drinkers, we drink pretty much an average amount of beer. I mean, we're right in the middle of the pack uh, of states on the per capita consumption overall, but we just aren't producing local beer to drink. And so that's all I've always said that, you know, we could have a lot more breweries or our existing breweries could get bigger. There's no doubt like a weathered ground could be twice what they are. If they could produce it, they'd sell it. You know, we know we have brewers that could do that. But yeah, and I just want to, yeah, so, sorry, I, I just want to speak on Dave's point because talking about the veil, we talk about the veil, you know, we can probably include other half into that conversation, right? So we look at breweries with multiple tap room locations like the veil, and I'll just go other half, just go to that. So prior, you know, a lot of prior to uh, the multiple tap room locations, they were able to expand into the market. Granted, larger states, larger markets, so on and so forth, you know, a lot more bottle shops per capita, so on and so forth they were able to expand into that local market. And so I, I guess to the point, you know, I guess specifically speaking of the short story, Maryland, West Virginia, you know, the Vale and the other half made their money within the local market before they decided they need to expand elsewhere. You know, especially, you know, Virginia's a large state and other half, you know, they all ship out of state now. You know, they ship, you know, they ship to DC, some uh, ship to Pennsylvania, some ship uh, elsewhere, but the local market made it first and you know and you're talking about you know charles talking about when you know, weather ground they could be twice as big you know i you know granted you know i, I am from beckley so you know i i do hold a little bit of favoritism but i, I do the the numbers don't lie so you look you know because you know year after year we always see you know short story as the top rated brewery in west virginia well i, I look and, and you know i sit and i look at the numbers and i i sit and i try to think you know so you look at from 2019 to 2020, you know, Weatherground had uh, almost 1,100 more check in uh, Sorry, 1,100 more check-ins than their 2019. From 2019 to 2020, Short Story had about 4,200 more check-ins. So Weatherground had about 67 more, 6,700 more check-ins than Short Story. And that's something that I sit, and when I talk about the best brewery in West Virginia, I take that into consideration because, you know, it, it's the old saying, if you know, if a tree falls in a forest and no one's around, it doesn't make a sound. And so if a brewer brews a beer and only a few people have the beer, is it really the best beer? And, and, and we don't know. And that's why, you know, I, I, my, as far as the West Virginia market, Weatherground has it covered because their consistency, quality, quality, and their distribution are unmatched within the state of West Virginia. They're doing things that are unprecedented within our state. Yeah, yeah I, one of the things I'm not sure that a lot of people really appreciate is that <clears throat> for a brewer, it's a lot more difficult to ramp up production than, say, a manufacturer, right? You can't add another shift because the yeast isn't going to work any faster. Uh, once you hit capacity, you got to put in new equipment. And I mean, I, th I think, you know, everybody on this conversation understands that, Um but I'm guessing a lot of people don't understand that. Like, well, you know, if this is popular, just make more of it. Well, <laughs> it's not as easy as just make more of it. Um, 
And, and one of the things that, that we know that has caused some brewers to go under is the fact that they took on too much debt. Um, so there's a balancing act that those brewers have to really play around with was how much debt can we take on in terms of expanding um, versus the increased sales we get from that. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, it's that's what my point was sort of earlier on, even should they be distributing in other parts of the state, that, which means they'd have to produce more beer. It's not an easy decision because, right, they have to uh, expand their whole uh, plant. They have to buy new right. fruiters. They have to buy maybe new uh, brew house and larger equipment. And that stuff is expensive and, and kind of takes a lot of time to even purchase these days. Well, anyway. Well, well Charles, and back to when you and I uh, interviewed short story, I remember, you know, Aaron saying that not only were they at capacity, but, you know, their equipment is at capacity. And he did say, you know, when they have a release that their customers, if something happens, they were having some kind of an electrical issue. They were having thing, lines and things replaced. It wasn't their fault. It was the electric company's fault. And anyway, it postponed um, their weekly releases and their customers were upset about it and would call and complain because they would actually stand in line and sell everything that they had. And, you know, for them to be able to, to do more than they're doing, it would be, as Brad said, they're going to have to invest or have to, you know, move or open another facility. And, you know, I don't, I'm not sure, as you said, for a small, smallish brewery that is doing well, they may not be something they want to do. You know, they may be happy with their business model. It might not be right. what consumers want, but it may be where they're content. Yeah, that that's exactly right. It's like, you know, if they're happy running that small business and it, it's at capacity, basically they're serving their community and their family is happy and they're making a living out of it. Who are we like, tell them, oh, you should be doing more, you know? I mean, maybe that's that's enough. I mean, what we need is somebody else. We just need more investment somewhere. It doesn't have to be from an existing brewery. It could be a new new brewers. We, we need investment in our brewing capacity in West Virginia among good breweries anyway. We do. We need more breweries. We need more craft beer bars, you know, as you said, per capita. And I just, I feel like West Virginia has always been easily five years behind, if not more than every surrounding state. And it's just, we're, we're finally, I feel like almost kind of getting to where we can feel like we're in the same realm of, of the other states around us, but we're still very much behind everyone else. Yeah. Hey, Rob Abston, let me uh, get you involved here. You know, one of the things that, you know, you get out to these surrounding states, again, you do some of the beer releases, other places. I mean, what do you see that, that, that we could do more in West Virginia or how could we do more in West Virginia that could get us, move us ahead in craft beer? We still need legislative changes, but I'm not going to get any weeds on that. Um, it's a slow process. Um, you know, we, we are still a rural state. Uh, we've got 1.8 million people spread out over the state. There are that many people in, you know, the greater Dayton area, for example. Um, it's one of those things I've been thinking about for years, talking about for years, and I think, I think we're on a, a general decent curve, but it's going to take some people who, it, it just going to take, you said, actual more physical investment, people who are willing to come in and commit half a million to a million dollars to put something place in, in Charleston, uh, a second place in a Charleston, uh, a second place in Huntington. Um, more, more difficult. 
it's just difficult to come up with an actual, just, just an answer for that. Uh, we, we are seeing a lot of growth with people that are already here. We've just been discussed in full. We've got respectable beers being made in the state now, which is something just a few years ago, you couldn't really say consistently that there was anything that really would draw anybody in. We've got it now. Um, you know, and, and competition is, as everybody has said, is pushing people forward and that's great. Um, it needs to continue though. And, you know, as we do have some people who are in the business who make really good beers, but they're lifestyle brewers. They just, they like what they've got. They don't want to be any bigger. And you have to respect that. Uh, if you want to, you know, be able to only have to work 60 hours a week at your brewery job, as opposed to working 80 or 90 hours a week, because you want to have some kind of a life. I, I, I don't, I'm not going to hold that against anybody. Um, if you want to keep it small so you can keep quality control, I'm not going to hold that against anybody. Um, even though I, I would like to have your beer, I understand why I can't get it unless I want to drive up to you know, Fairmont or something. I, I get that. Um, but we need some people who have the capital and the ambition and the skills all simultaneously kind of meet together. And maybe there could be somebody in the Department of Commerce and like that could maybe try to facilitate some people like get, get the good brewer that wants to wants to make good beer together with a person that wants to have the big distribution footprint and has the capital to make the big distribution footprint. You have to get them all together. Um, maybe it can happen organically, but maybe some sort of statewide industrial policy. Can happen. That's my idea. All right. And you know, as we uh, kind of wrap this up, uh, I want to ask each of you, and I'm going to call on you uh, as we go to tell me like your one wish or one or two, whatever, one, you know, a couple of one big wish for 2021, where you'd like to see something happen within our beer, general beer industry. It could be anything you want. And I'm going to start with uh, Matt Day. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's hard. Well, uh, one wish, uh, but I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll go with two because it'd be nice, quick and easy. Uh, so uh, I'd like to see Short Story and Stumptown Beers in Southern West Virginia. And then just for a caveat, uh, second wish, everybody puts dates on cans. All right, Brad Deal, what's your wishes? A second brewery in Charleston. <laughs> Done. <laughs> How Amen. about a third and a fourth, too? <laughs> okay, let me go to Dave Mentzer. So I want them all to survive, right? We're not done yet with the COVID. And we're not done yet with probably the next round of shutdowns. Although I just did here, um, Kanawha County and Putnam County kids are going back to school January 16th. So I think the numbers are promising down here at least. But I want them to survive, the ones we have. They're so good that we've hit the sweet spot right now in West Virginia brews. It's better than it's ever been. Is it going to get better than this? Man, I hope so. I hope we're going to get twice as many breweries in the next, what, five years maybe. And that's not realistic. But yeah, I agree. A second brewery in Charleston would be awful nice. All right. Lynette Stewart, you're next. Hey, I agree with both of them. A second brewery in Charleston would be great. Um, but the one wish that I have is I want everybody like, Keep producing your wild stuff because that's what that's what I like. Let's do some crazy things next year. Rob Abston, go ahead. I want another year of this podcast, dude. 
<laughs> oh yeah well we'll get that <laughs> how about also one more happy accidents like the uh bad shepherd my Mock, which uh turned out to be as good as it was largely because it had to sit in the tank twice as long as they intended it to because they were shut down which uh worked out really well it, it lagered exactly as long as it needed to so that yep well, i guess one of the benefits of the pandemic uh, we got a long lagered mybach nice Hey, Aaron McCoy, what do you like to say? I definitely would like for everybody to stay consistent, you know, keep doing what you're doing and what you've done to sort of step up to 2020 in this crazy pandemic, because I think that everyone has certainly done the uh, Charles Darwin thing, survival of the fittest and keep going. But um, secondly, and this is a legislative thing, so, you know, breweries don't exactly have a whole lot of hand in changing this other than just lobbying, but please let our breweries be able to ship their beers. They need that ability. It's important to them, I think, in their long run um, stability. And it, it's something they should just be able to do. So that's that's my wishes or hopes for them. Yeah, we've had um, shipping, I think, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia, at least those three states, I'm sure are now shipping beers um, within their states and and probably without to other states that would allow them to do that. Uh, uh, that, that you know, legislatively, you know, we, we have so many things and we'll probably come back and circle around on that because we've talked with Jeff McKay about uh, things for bars and restaurants, uh, about legislation needs and things like that. We probably will come back to that here because the legislature starts um, um, what about a m month late this year so it starts february instead of january, january i guess yeah but uh so we've got a little time to to develop some ideas for legislation we certainly need that and uh, you know not only the bars and restaurants need some maybe legislation but uh our brewers could probably benefit like we were talking about some loosening up some distribution ideas some uh, you know the the uh, be, being able to ship beer being able just like making it permanent that beers could be curbside delivery. I mean, at your, sure. outside your brewery or that you could have an outdoor seating area on the sidewalk. That's not your own property. Um, you know, there's a lot of little things like that. Well, anyway, I want to thank you guys. I'm going to go back through the list. Dave Menser, uh, Matt Day, Brad Deal, Rob Abston, Aaron McCoy, Lynette Stewart, and I'm Charles Bachway on West Virginia Beer Roads. And uh, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, thank you guys for your participation and all of your ideas. This has been um, interesting and I think a very telling program that maybe we can get back together here in a, in a few more months and talk about how things are progressing. So again, thank you very much and appreciate it. Cheers. 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 This brings us to the close of another podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast host. Thank you for listening to West Virginia Beer Roads. West Virginia Beer Roads is a production of BrilliantStream.com.